Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians. This is where we are hanging out for, for the winter. And we are in our second week studying this amazing book of 1 Corinthians. It's actually a letter to a church in Corinth. We studied last week, chapter 1. Our sermon was Church Fights. And this morning we are looking at chapter 2. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray that God helps us understand it. And then we will start diving into His Word. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Just follow along in your Bibles or in a neighbor's Bible if somebody sitting next to you has one while I read. And I, when I came to you, brothers, this is Paul talking, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom." Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age which are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you speak to us this morning. We are reading your uh, word that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved for us so that we may read it as Jesus talking to us today. We ask that your spirit works in our hearts and that you melt our cold hearts of stone and that you quicken us to life. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when I was a child, I had a picture that I was very proud of that I would often use to impress my friends. It was a picture of me and Shaquille O'Neal. So if you didn't follow the uh, basketball back in the 1990s, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq was the uh, amazing all-star center for the Orlando Magic at the time. He eventually played for my team, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers, all washed up and past his prime. That's when the Cavs get, their, get the stars. Um, except for LeBron James, but that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that another time. 
So I had this picture of me and Shaq standing in my bedroom, seven foot one inches, and I would, whenever I wanted to impress my friends, I would pull it out and be like, look, me, my boy Shaq, hanging out in my bedroom. And uh, then they would come to my house, and we would be hanging out, and I'd be like, you can meet him if you'd like. You can meet Shaquille O'Neal. Where is he? He's in my bedroom. Why is Shaquille O'Neal in your bedroom? That's strange. So we would go downstairs. I lived in the basement, and I would introduce them to Shaquille O'Neal, and they would walk in, and I'm telling you, I would hang out with Shaq. They would walk in, and there he was, standing there, all seven foot, one inches, staring right at them. Shaquille O'Neal, seven feet, one inches tall, 10 pounds, cardboard cutout in my bedroom. Not so impressive. My friends were no longer impressed with me when they found that my picture was me and a cardboard cutout of Shaquille O'Neal. Now, all that to say, Paul, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, is in a similar way not so impressed with the Christians in Corinth. Because they look like Christians. They have the face of Christians. They, 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 they've got the height, if you would, of Christians. They've got the uniform that Christians wear. Yet as Paul gets up close and as he, as he hears stories and he receives letters from people in the church like Corinth or like Chloe, um, he starts to realize that while they, they look like Shaquille O'Neal, they've got the height, they've got the face, the closer you get, the re- you, you realize that the, the, the flesh and blood which makes up Shaquille O'Neal just isn't there. The flesh and blood which makes up a Christian, if you would, or the very stuff that makes up a Christian as you get close to these folks and as you explore them, you, be, you begin to realize like something's missing. Something is just not there. Now you might have a friend, or you might even describe yourself in this way, Someone who calls themselves a Christian. They look like a Christian. They wear the uniform of a Christian. And as you get up close to them, you just sort of have this, this sense that something is not there. Like the flesh and blood that makes you uh, legit. The stuff that makes you legit. Just something is missing. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because the church in Corinth has problems and has divisions. They're a real church with real issues, and they are having real church fights. Now, last week we talked about church fights. This week we could call the sermon Church Fights Part 2. Like, just think of it like a DVD, all right? Pastor and parishioners with the boxing gloves on, Church Fights Part 2. It would sell, right? John, maybe you can get on that. That's something that John, like that's a Facebook status for John right there. Church fights. Anyway, um, Paul's going deeper here. We're we're, we're calling this sermon, it's actually wrong in the bulletin, but we're calling this sermon natural man versus spiritual man because what Paul is doing is this. He's getting deeper to the core, to the root of what causes the church fights, what causes the divisions in the church in Corinth. And what he begins to show us is this. There is something different. Like, you've, you've got this, this look, you've got this uniform that you're wearing, but you're mere, a mere cardboard cutout. Is there a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? 
Is there a difference between somebody who claims to have Christ and somebody who truly does not have Christ? Somebody who's legit and somebody who's not? Is there a difference between uh, somebody who's regenerate, if you would, they're made new by the Holy Spirit, versus somebody who is unregenerate or, or not made new by the Holy Spirit? Is there a difference between somebody who's converted to Christianity versus someone who's really not converted to Christianity? This is where Paul goes today. And see, this is a question that actually, I think, confounds a lot of us. So to do this, what I would like to do is I want you to imagine that there are two men standing up here. Um, both of these men uh, are, are good, moral people. They do moral things. They, 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 they help the poor. They love their neighbor. Uh, they, they pay their taxes, whatever. Uh, they both are successful in their jobs. They both have children and wives that they love and who love them. The difference is one of them is a Christian and one of them is not a Christian. One of them is regenerate, one of them is not regenerate. Now, the question is this, is there really a difference between these two men? Or is the difference something like, like um, one believes a certain way about Jesus, the other one does not, and that's the difference? Or one is just, they, they, they believe that Jesus is like the bridge to get them to heaven, and so they're going to heaven, the other one's not going to heaven. Is that the difference? Like what, is it just a belief structure? Is it just a, a different eternal state that each one will find them in? Or is there something at the very core that is just simply uh, massive, massively different? Now, what I would like to do is, as we've imagined there, there's these two men up here, now imagine and this is kind of ridiculous, but just bear with me. Imagine that you can make yourself very small and obscure and, and abstract, all right? And you can somehow get into the deepest recesses of these two men's uh, uh, hearts. You can sort of uh, slide on in to, their, to the deepest part of who they are, and you can start looking around and explore them, and you can now begin to see whether or not there are intrinsic differences between someone who is truly regenerate and someone who is not regenerate. This is what Paul does in chapter 2. And so, let's do it, shall we? Look at chapter 2. Let's compare and contrast these two men. So first, I'll just give it to you, the first difference is this. The natural man speaks with lofty speech and wisdom. The spiritual man speaks merely Christ crucified. Look at verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, the Corinthian church, let's remember, was enamored with worldly wisdom. This is what we talked about last week. And what was happening was this was creating divisions in the early church. Think of it this way. If you are enamored with worldly wisdom, on one hand, let's, let's recognize all truth is indeed God's truth. So if there's truth out there, no matter who's stating it, if it's true, it's God's truth, okay? Okay. However, 
if you are enamored with worldly wisdom and it doesn't line up with God's wisdom, it doesn't matter how much you're reading, how much you're thinking, how much you're philosophizing, you are heading 60 miles an hour away from God. The old scientist and philosopher himself, Francis Bacon, said it this way. He said, the cripple who keeps the right road beats the runner who takes the wrong one. It is obvious that when a man runs in the wrong way, the more active and swift he is, the further away he will go. So, track with me here. If we are um, uh, studying and enamored with and, and, and uh, reading and listening to wisdom that is not in line with God's wisdom, it doesn't matter how hard our brains work. It doesn't matter how many degrees we get. It doesn't matter how hard we study. We are, as a matter of fact, we could put it this way. The harder you study, the faster you are running away from God. The further, 60 miles. This is like getting directions from a friend. Has this ever happened to you? And they say, uh, don't turn left right there. Make sure you keep going straight. And then you take their directions and you realize that you should have turned left. And now you're heading out in the wrong direction and like like on 83 like right when you get past the beltway there's no exit you have to get to like Parkton or something like that before you can actually turn back around you, you are heading 60 miles an hour in the wrong direction because of bad uh, because of bad directions this is worldly wisdom the church in Corinth enamored with worldly wisdom that didn't line up with God's wisdom and it is taking them now in the wrong direction. And so here Paul says that the natural man, or I did not come, he says, like the natural man, speaking with lofty words and with wisdom. But how did he come? He says, I came uh, uh, speaking merely Christ crucified. And I was with you, he says, in weakness and in fear and trembling. Now contrast that with the Paul that we know before conversion. So Paul, when his name was Everybody? Saul, before conversion, he was educated, he was brilliant, he was a leader among his peers. At the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, there was Saul or Paul uh, arrogantly giving his approval. This is a good thing. Well done. Shortly before his own conversion, he uses lofty words and wisdom to gain uh, access uh, to, to persecute the church in Damascus. He was a man of worldly wisdom, of confidence. What changed? How did he go from that, puffed up in the flesh, arrogant, worldly wisdom, to now speaking in fear and in trembling? What changed? He had an encounter with Jesus. And it changed everything. And he realized what a fool he had been. And now he merely goes to these churches and with fear and with trembling just squeaks out the gospel of Jesus. That's all I know to speak is, is Jesus Christ crucified. Now, a qu good question to ask at this point is this. Does that mean that the spiritual man's words are less powerful than the natural man's words. So Paul once had so much confidence in, him, in his flesh and spoke with lo lofty words and wisdom. Was he more powerful back then than he is now, fear and trembling, squeaking out, Jesus Christ crucified? 
This is the second compare and contrast between these two men. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 4. I, he says, my speech and my message were not in plausible. Everybody say plausible. If you don't know that word, you need to know the word and you need to use the word. It's a good word. It's, it means something, something like it, 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 it's possible. It, it, there's a good possibility that this is true, all right? My speech and my, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So the natural man, all right, remember we're in the hearts of these two men, we're in the minds of these two men, the natural man speaks with words of plausibility, whereas the spiritual man speaks with power. Let me illustrate this for you. Uh, suppose that there is an older man who's standing behind a lectern, and he, let's say he has a beard what, much, much wiser than mine, all right? He's one of those guys. And he has a lot of, uh, an auditorium just packed full of young listeners, uh, people who are just soaking in every word, and he has plausible words of wisdom. He has very good logical arguments, and he can sort of connect the dots between thoughts and between arguments that I had never thought of before. And, and let's assume that maybe he's even, he's arguing for the, uh, the, the possible existence of a deity. It's very plausible that there is a God, that there is some kind of deity out there, all right? And very, a very good argument. Now his hearers go home, all right? And they, they sit together and they, they, they twirl their hipster stash and they drink their old fashions. And, and they think to themselves, that's very plausible. That's very, uh, maybe I could see, he, has, he had very good arguments, uh, good logic. It's very possible that there is a God. Now, let's say at the same time, all right, so that's, do you, do, are you guys tracking here? Plausible words of wisdom. Same time now, a, 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 a uneducated beggar who's been converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ has now come into the power of the Spirit and the power of Christ walks into their midst and stands among them and as they twirl their stash, he, sa- he says, I was I was lost, and now I'm found. I was once blind, and now I see. Look to Christ. Because when we look to Christ, when you look to Christ, you see the forgiveness of your sins on the cross, and you see the resurrection. You see life given to you, everlasting life. And with that, all right, this poor man speaks these words. These foolish words, and they come and they hit these young hearers with force on their chests and they pierce through their hearts and it brings them to the ground in repentance of their sins and belief in the gospel. That's kind of what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is the very best wisdom and thinking of the world leads us to think quite, it's, it's plausible. It's possible that that's true. Whereas the foolish words spoken with fear and with trembling of the spiritual man come with power. They come with the very power of God to save a soul from hell. So first, 
The natural man uses lofty speech and wisdom. The spiritual man speaks of these simple things. The natural man uses the, uh, the, the, the wisdom, uh, the, the plausible words of wisdom, whereas the spiritual man speaks not with plausible words, but with powerful words. Now finally, the, the, the third one is found in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, so that your faith now might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So why does God do things this way? Why does God operate in this way? Why does God use fools? It's so that we might have a faith that doesn't rest in the wisdom and the logic and the thinking of man, but rather we have a faith that rests in the wisdom of God. As an example, I uh, myself will often take time to sort of kind of pull back and, and re-study um, the, the thinking and the logic behind why I believe the Bible is true, all right? So why do we believe that this is the inspired and infallible Word of God? And so I will read uh, the, the theologians and I'll read, uh, I'll, I'll read the skeptics and I'll, I'll look at the very best arguments and I'll remind myself, oh yeah, that's why. This is, this is how we have the Bible. This is how it's been preserved. That's, and, and, and I might take six, eight, ten hours, you know, just studying all of these logical sort of pieces, putting it all together, and, and it makes sense. And I'm like, man, this is, this is good. Like, I have, I have, I'm reminded of why I have such confidence in the Bible. But here's the thing. This is, this is the thing. Um, I was invited to stand with a girl who was on her deathbed. She was 12 years old, dying of cancer. She had a few weeks left. And while I was there, she asked me if God loves her. Now, in that moment, do I have time to go through my six, seven, eight hours of logical thinking and, and arguments and the wisdom of man and how we know that this is God's inspired, true, infallible word to us? Do I have time to, to have a faith that rests on the thinking and the wisdom and the logic of man? Uh, in that moment, when there is a girl in front of me that's dying, either all things work together for good to them who love God is true or it's not true. What, are the, what is it? Can we rest in the promises of God? The, the gospel, what, the, the, the hope that we speak of in Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead, that's either true or it's, it's not true. I don't have time now to like logically Tell this girl, hang on a second, I have to remember all of my, my thinking on why I know this is true, and then I'll give you an answer. Do you see what I'm saying? See, our faith then must not rest on the wisdom and the thinking and the logic of man, but we have a faith that rests in the power of God. How do we know this is true? At the end of the day, well, it's because I'm resting in the power of God. There is an inner light that God has placed within me, which says, this is my word. I mean, we can logically use our wisdom, and it's good to do this. Apologetics, very important study. But at the end of the day, when a girl's dying, what is it that we rest on? It is not our thinking. It is the power of God inside of us. Now, Another question that comes at this point, a very important question, is this. Does this then mean that we are a bunch of Ned Flanders 
you know, Homer Simpson's neighbor. Did you guys watch, nobody watched The Simpsons growing up? Using all these 90s analogies today. Uh, Ned Flanders, sort of this stupid Christian, lame. Ned Flanders, I think Homer wrote a whole song about how lame Ned Flanders is. I hate Ned Flanders, and you should too. He's stupid. And he's there, smiles, God is good. Believes that God created this world. Dumb, stupid Christians. They just believe, see, no wisdom at all. They just, because of these former things that I just talked about, because Christians, uh, they, don't, they don't rest in the thinking of the wisdom of man. They rest in this so-called power of God. That means Christians are just dumb. That means they just blindly accept whatever you tell them. So tell them the moon is made of cheese. Okay. Tell them the earth is flat. All right, earth is flat. Tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. Okay, we can believe that one as well. It's the power of God that we trust in, not the wisdom and thinking of man. Now, let's just pause for a moment, all right? Well, actually, let me, let's not pause. Let's go into the text. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So what Paul is saying is this. There is a real wisdom nonetheless that we possess and that we impart. A real logical wisdom. He says, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So he's saying this, there is a wisdom that we do possess, something true and something logical that is actually not commonly held among the rulers of this day. Now, we are thinkers. Is the moon made of cheese? No, of course not. Is the earth flat? We thought it was, all right, whatever. We know it's round. Did Jesus die for your sins and rise from the dead? We have a wisdom that is not of this world. The natural man does not understand the wisdom of God in his thinking. Look, look at what the text says. He says, um, verse 7, he says, uh, we, we impart a secret. Everybody say Secret. Secret and hidden wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean it's like, shh, don't tell anybody, like, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Like, don't, it's a secret. That's not what he's talking about. He's using this in the way that that the New Testament uses the word secret and mystery, which is simply this. It means something that is, uh, something that we cannot comprehend in our natural state. So he's saying that there is a wisdom of God, which in your natural state, you have no ability to understand. You just can't think this far ahead. You cannot think this highly in your natural state. It's a mystery. It's hidden. Paul proclaims, he says, please in Ephesians, help me so that when I proclaim the mystery, when I proclaim the secret, it is understood because this is something far beyond natural ability to understand Look at verse 8. He says, None of the rulers of this age have understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Is, is Richard Dawkins, the prominent atheist, is, is he correct 
in that Christians um, are, have... The, the Christian belief in the deity of Christ and the message of the gospel is as foolish as believing in the flying spaghetti monster. Paul is saying, what Paul is saying here, and I want you guys to understand this, he's saying it's, these, these things aren't even uh, comparable. Like you can't even, in your natural state, begin to understand the wisdom that we're talking about. It's beyond your human comprehension. Look what he says here. He, he quotes this, this old text, verse 9. He says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Meaning, like in our natural state, the natural man uh, doesn't have ears to hear it, doesn't have eyes to see it, doesn't have a mind to understand the many good things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But the spiritual man does understand these things. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to them who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image, image of His Son. Those he, who he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, every single one of them, he glorified. We are all going to make it. We are going to have new bodies and a new creation. We're going to be glorified. And therefore, then all things, everything that happens in your life works together for that purpose, for good to them who are called now, that is, a, that is a logic, that is a thinking, that is a wisdom that is uh, um, impossible for the natural man to comprehend. Ask natural man uh, who has just experienced the, the death of his daughter to a tragedy. Ask natural man if God is good. Ask natural man who has just ex lost his daughter to tragedy if, if God is is loving to him. He can't understand. He, 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 there, he, has, no, there's, he has no logic that would pl put that together for him. On the contrary, ask spiritual, spiritual man who has just lost his daughter to a tragedy if God is good. If God is a loving God and through tears, through great grief and anguish, because death is always foreign to us. Death is always, there's a sting to death, and it hurts. It's not natural for us, but through tears and through the anguish, spiritual man says, God is good. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All things work together for good to them who love God. God is a good and loving God. I don't understand everything, but I know this, God is good. How can spiritual men say this? How can spiritual men have this thinking in the midst of such tragedy? It is because spiritual man has a wisdom you know nothing of. Now, as we continue to compare spiritual man and natural man, 
The question now is how does spiritual man have this kind of wisdom and this kind of thinking? Look at verse 10. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Everybody stop right there. God has revealed these things to spiritual man through the Holy Spirit. Now, what about the Spirit? Look at Let's continue. Verse 10. For the Spirit, he says, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So, what Paul's saying is this. If I wanted to really get to know you, um, I should have a conversation with your Spirit. Like, could you imagine if your Spirit and I sat down to talk and I asked your Spirit everything I would like to know about you, how much your Spirit would reveal about who you are? This is what Paul's saying. Like, who knows your thoughts but your spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? He's saying the, the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of God. Who knows the thoughts of God? Who knows the wisdom of God? Who knows the peace of God but the Holy Spirit? Now, what about the Holy Spirit? He says, so no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of Him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now three truths I want you to get here about the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. The Spirit is, the Holy Spirit of God is divine. The Holy Spirit of God is not divine human. It's not us. It's not angelic. The Holy Spirit of God is a being that is divine. It is, as he says, the very Spirit of God. As much as your spirit is a part of you, the Holy Spirit is a part of God. Second thing is this. The Spirit, says in verse 12, is given to you. The Spirit is given to every spiritual person. The Spirit is given to every Christian. He says, we, speaking of Him as well as these these wayward believers in Corinth, we have the Spirit of God, which means that you are a fundamentally different person at your most deepest level. You have the Spirit of God who knows the thoughts of God now dwelling with you and inside of you and filling you. I had a uh, boss back in the day who was um, part, of, part of a church where they did like a lot of running around and shouting and falling out and falling down and jumping up and down and hopping over things and um, speaking in tongues and you know, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And he would often ask me this. He would say, Joel, I know you're a Christian, but are you a spirit-filled Christian? I'd be like, "Um, explain, explain yourself. Are you spirit-filled? And I would say, do you mean, do I get like welled up with a lot of emotions and shout out and jump up and down? I don't do that much. I have. What do you mean? And my answer was always the same. I'd be like, yeah, like, I'm a spirit-filled Christian because I understand the gospel. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying this, this is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The primary work of your, the Holy Spirit in your life is to point your attention to Jesus. 
It's to point your attention to the cross. It's so that you may understand a wisdom that, is, uh, that you have no ability to comprehend outside of his work. It's so that you may understand the logic of the cross. It's so that you might understand what God is doing in humanity. Uh, how God is taking this fallen human uh, uh, race and this good creator who is holy and just is redeeming this humanity through the death and through the resurrection of His Son and recreating all things. It's so that we may understand that. If you understand that, friends, you are Spirit-filled. You have otherwise no comprehension. No way to understand these things. So the Holy Spirit is the divine Spirit of God. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is given to you so that you might have this kind of wisdom, the thoughts, the thinking, the peace of God. The lecturer with that beard much wiser than mine who is, who is putting together these logical arguments then has a conversation with this poor, uneducated beggar. And the lecturer has no clue. He cannot comprehend these, this, this high wisdom that this uneducated beggar has been given by the Holy Spirit of God. Six, six compare and uh, contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. Therefore, look at verse 14. Because of these things, he says, the natural person does not accept the the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. They are foolishness to him. They say the things of of, of the Spirit of God are as foolish as flying spaghetti monsters. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discern verse 15 the spiritual person that judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one what he means by that is this the holy spirit is able to comprehend these incredible things and who has understood the mind of the lord so as to instruct him we have the mind of christ he's saying who like who can match this kind of thinking who can have a wisdom that is higher than the wisdom of God that is given to this lowly man. The natural man spent his whole life gathering information. He studied the ancient philosophers and he would find quotes and when he found a quote that made sense to him, he wrote it down in his, in his book. He then studied the founding fathers of America, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and found these amazing quotes of wisdom and of life and he wrote these quotes down in his book the natural man and continuing to pursue uh, truth was educated and wrote down everything his uh, professors would tell them that that made sense of 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 this this world and he wrote them into his book uh, he would read books and he would highlight and he would extract lines and sentences and paragraphs from these books and place them into his own book. When natural man was, was old, he was, uh, he was dying, he pulled out his book and he read through all of the wisdom that he had acquired in this world. 
and he wept bitterly. For he found nothing that would speak to the next life. He found nothing that would answer the, the deepest questions of his soul, the questions of life, the question of death, the question of this nagging feeling of guilt that I have walked with, the question of God, the question of holiness, the question of wrath and judgment. Spiritual man then introduced him to a Bible. And there explained to him the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit of God entered into this man so that he could now comprehend the wisdom of God and he saw it. He now had eyes to see. He had ears to hear. He had had a a thinking, a, a brain that was now open to the wisdom and the thinking of God. He could now conceive and comprehend the thoughts of God. There is a vast difference between spiritual man and natural man. We don't see it in the picture. We don't see it uh, in in the moral actions. We don't often see it in the way that we just simply live our day-to-day lives. But when we begin to ask ourselves some of the deeper questions of life, there we begin to see the differences. Now, why is it that Paul, in chapter 1, starts talking about church fights and is dealing with this this issue of divisions in the church in Corinth? And then, from there, he goes into this uh, rant, if you would, about on uh, natural man versus spiritual man. Why would Paul do this? Now, is Paul like uh, sitting on a rock naked in that thinking man position just, just thinking about life, just thinking about Christianity and hmm, I wonder what the difference is between us and them. Let me, just, let me just write down some thoughts that I have for you. Is that what Paul is doing? Is Paul in some theological ivory tower writing uh, a textbook for seminary students to, to get and to, to read these things and to study these things that really don't make any difference in life to know the difference between natural man and spiritual man. But, but it's, it's nice to know. It's interesting. Is Paul just like a philosopher here? Like, what is he doing? Why did he talk about church fights and then now go into this? That's the question that I have on my mind. Why would Paul address natural man versus spiritual man to a church that's a real church with real problems in the trenches trying to figure out how to survive as a body, as a church. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, he's saying number, number one, there's a fundamental difference between the natural man and the spiritual man. And number two, I'm writing this to you guys, a church, uh, uh, the church, not for, let me, let, me, let me say why Paul did not, is not writing this. It's not so that we might, uh, might puff ourselves up in our religiosity and look down on quote-unquote natural man and say, oh, spiritual man is so much better, such better thinkers where we actually have a higher wisdom than you do. 
It's not, he's not writing so that we may look down on natural man. He's also not writing so that we may lose hope for natural man because Paul preaches the gospel to natural man and they are being saved. Paul is writing this for this reason. He's saying, church, the closer I get to you, the more I realize that some of you, if not a lot of you, are acting like natural man. You're like that cardboard cutout that looks good, you look like the right height, you're wearing the uniform, and as I interact with you, and as I experience you, I'm beginning to realize that there's not a lot of flesh and blood to your image. That the very stuff that makes you a Christian just seems to be missing. Something is missing. And this is why you are having church fights. Because you are acting as if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, informing you, convicting you, and speaking through you to other people. You are filled with lofty speech and words of wisdom uh, uh, formed to impress with no power. You have a faith that rests in the wisdom and the thinking of man, you totally are forgetting the gospel, your depravity and the goodness of God and giving you grace and showing you Christ. You are claiming to have the Holy Spirit of God, but there is nothing there. So therefore, church fights happen when Christians when spiritual man acts like natural man. Church fights happen when we are driven by our own wisdom and not the power of the Holy Spirit. Church fights happen when we are placing our faith in our own logic and in our own thinking as opposed to the power of God. Church fights happen when we are driven by our natural tendencies and not the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Are you a spiritual man acting like natural man? Or are you just simply natural? If you are a natural person, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Look to Christ. Look to the cross of Christ and there you find the forgiveness of your sins. The wrath of God poured out on His Son out of love for you to save you a lost and dying sinner. You find the resurrection. Christ rose from the dead three days later, giving you power and victory over the grave, inviting you into a new life and a life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we ask that that you do convict us, that the the, the places in our hearts and in our lives that we are acting and thinking like just merely natural people, that you, uh, that you quicken us, wake us up from the dead, uh, wake up those dead parts of our, of our being, of our, the, the dark uh, places of our heart, just uh, clean them out, expose them 
so that we may live in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may see Jesus, that we may understand your wisdom in the good message of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.